Welcome to the Glasgow Baptist Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Erdie Carter. We want to help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. My goodness, wonderful, wonderful. Stand with me, if you will. As I've said to you before, we stand before the Lord this morning. You don't stand before a man. I do not stand above you. Don't stand below you. We stand together to hear the Word of God and to pray that the Word of God, praise God, will speak to our heart. For He has come. He has come. And we celebrate His coming by having hearing hearts. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for all that's gone before in this service. My goodness, we lift our hands and our hearts to you and praise you because you are a great God, because you are a God who is with us. You have not abandoned us because you are a God who has given us yourself in Christ Jesus our Lord and made payment for our sin upon the cross and have certified it in that you have raised our Savior from the grave, that we might also have that victory in our life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Help us to hear your word this morning, and help me as we try to bring it. In Jesus' name, and for his glory. Amen. Be seated. Brother Erdy called me yesterday evening, early evening, and said that he was, uh, the doctors told him to get somebody to preach. Sure, I didn't come as a recommendation from the doctors, by the way. (laughs) But he felt that uh, maybe I could say something. I said, uh, he said, this is the first Sunday of Advent. And I said, well, I tell you, in in the churches that I pastored, and the churches that I attended except one, but the churches I had anything to do with the worship service, we never observed Advent. And I said, I've never preached an Advent sermon before. Today, we want to talk about hope. We know when we come to talk about Advent, it means the the coming. It means that Jesus Christ, we celebrate his coming into our world. We celebrate his coming into our life. We celebrate the gift that he has given in, uh, in the infant child Jesus. And all that that means, all that that meant in anticipation in the Old Testament that the Messiah would come, we find that fulfilled in that babe in the manger. And then in his life and in terms of what he did, we find that he has brought into our life this idea of hope. His coming brings us hope. And we know when we read the Christmas story that we see hope that is there again and again and again that hope is there. And so there are many attributes of hope. There are many virtues of hope. And really, when we come to celebrate these things in Advent about uh, hope, love, joy, and peace are the ones that we'll talk about. We're talking about the virtues that are supposed to be exhibited in the Christian life. And what's a virtue? It's a principle based on some foundation that we make decisions in our life based on the fact that we have today, we have hope. How does that change our life? How does that change our perspective? How does that change what we do? Because Jesus has come into our world. I want you to take your Bibles, if you will, and look with me into Hebrews, the 11th chapter and the first verse. Hebrews 11.1. 1. 
I preached on this particular passage here in this pulpit uh, uh, about a year ago maybe, but uh, more of it that we covered then. I think Brother Erty has talked about it since then. And the passage is this, Hebrews 11.1, 1, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Brother Erty's big idea, which I don't have before me right now, was that hope is something that is solid. It is based on a sure foundation. And this was one of the passages that he was going to use in that message, had he have been here today. And the message is that we have hope, it's not wishful thinking. It is based on something solid. That's what that word assurance means. When I preached on this passage some time ago, we talked about that some of you were here. You actually stood on the corner and you watched the foundations for this auditorium being poured. You know that there is a good foundation there. You have confidence that when you walk into this building, it will not fall down. When the wind blows, it will be stable. You saw the foundation laid. Your confidence in this building goes back to the fact that you saw and have experienced the foundation firsthand. You were there. And that's what the writer is saying about our hope, about being hoping for things, that the Christian has a foundation, something that is real. The King James talks about evidence something that is actually there that brings forth hope in our life. Oh, I know a lot of people say Christianity is just wishful thinking. Christianity is just a recycling of the old myths. The modern myth is Superman. He comes as a baby into the world and he's raised up by godly parents and, and parents who believe the right thing. And then he is a Superman. He comes to save the world. It's just an old myth, they say, that is circulated again and again. We find it in comic books. We find it in the literature of old. Everybody has their Savior who comes into the world. But we have a Savior who made demonstration of his power. We have a, a, a Savior who made demonstration of the fact that he was who he said he was. And we have a Savior who didn't come just as a babe in Bethlehem, but left, left this world as a resurrected Savior with victory over death, hell, and the grave. And I don't want to get ahead of myself, but this is a message. If you got to leave, you can leave after I say this. And we know that we have experienced that salvation and that forgiveness, and we have experienced that life in our lives lives and when we say I have faith and hope in Jesus Christ to do what he says he'll do we know it because we've experienced it now you can get up and go Amen. you've heard it the only thing that lacks is your response to this great message your response to what God has done our response as Christians is the fact one of the things that we need to do is to keep on living our life in hope. That's important. You find it over and over again in the scripture. In Romans, the 15th chapter and the 13th verse, Paul says, Now may the God of hope, not wishful thinking, May the God who gives us hope, who is hope himself, who is salvation himself, may he fill you with all joy and peace. And believing, you can say faith, so that you will abound in hope by the power, here's the dangerous word, of the Holy Spirit. 
I don't want to get off here on this as I tell my Sunday school class, but I'm going to tell you something right now, folks. Christianity is not an agreement to a thing you sign and sit down on your fanny in church the rest of your life till the Lord calls you home. You have a relationship with a living Lord who is holy. His Spirit comes and indwells you. And I'm telling you, there's not a person in this auditorium this morning. There's not a person listening to this broadcast or watching this broadcast today. But what I'm saying to you, if God has saved you and the Holy Spirit has come up in your life, God has something for you to do. And you're going to need all the hope you can have that's based on the evidence that's right there in the scripture based on the evidence that God has given you in your heart that you have been called to serve him and to do something for him in hope and in confidence that's what the church is to be that's what we're to have in our life joy unspeakable and full of glory the scripture says today in this first Sunday of Advent we emphasize the idea of hope in our lives. Hope, it's a virtue. As I've said, a virtue is a moral principle. A moral principle that we're to live our life by. We're to be a people who trusts in the Lord. When you come to consider hope, you say, I have hope in certain things. And most of the time we mean that as wishful thinking, or I'm going to roll the dice and I hope it works out, I hope I win. We're not talking about that kind of hope in the Christian life. We're talking about hope that has evidence. We're talking about hope that is founded in a real person who committed real acts. And because he did, the world crucified him. Goes on today. Goes on in our country today. Find something good and moral. Find someone who stands for what is right and the truth and what happens. Well, they kick you out. They don't want to hear you. Today, in this Sunday, we talk about hope, virtues of character that shape our decisions that we make. It's a moral principle. And it means we place confidence in something. Now, normally when you say, I have hope in this person. I really have confidence in this person. It's a person that we've observed. It's a person that we have come to say, I believe this person is who they say they are. I believe there's something real. You say, how do you know that? You say, because I go back to this incident in their life and I watched how they behaved. I watched the decisions they made. I watched that they stood for truth. I watched that in business, they did a right thing. They did a good thing. It wasn't always advantageous to them. I believe that I have confidence in that person, that they are an honorable person, that they are a person who stands by the truth, that they are a person who values good moral character in their own life. I put my confidence in them. And you make a decision based on your hope in them, your confidence in them. Now, because of the saving work of Jesus in our life, in that same way, Christians have hope. We have confidence in God the Father. We have confidence in God, the Holy Spirit. We have confidence in God, the Son, Jesus Christ, that he will do what he says he will do. And we shape our lives by what God has said he will do. Now, the world has a hope in a lot of things. And you will find that the world many times will say, oh, I've got hope in this or hope in that. 
One of the things in our society that we worship is we worship romantic love. We have kind of a myth that goes on and you can't kill it because uh, you've got whole channels on television that are devoted to glorifying romantic love. Every commercial you see that involves uh, some kind of perfume or some kind of something that's about romantic love, people will fall in love with you. It's a wonderful thing I found on the internet, so I know it's true. <laughs> I found on the internet a thing entitled The World's Shortest Fairy Tale. You may have read it. The world's shortest fairy tale is about a guy who put all his hope, his confidence, he made all his decisions in life about romantic love. He believed that if he married this one girl who he was so in love with, he was so in love with her, if he married her, then everything in his life would be right. He would be happy beyond belief. He would be joyous in his life. He was going to live in marital bliss, but he had to have this one person who he had great hope in, and this is the fairy tale. Once upon a time, a guy asked a girl, will you marry me? The girl said no. And the guy lived happily ever after. <laughs> and he rode motorcycles, and flew airplanes, and went fishing and hunting. And he played golf a lot. And he drank beer and scotch, and he had money in the bank. He left the seat, toilet seat up, passed gas when he wanted to, where he wanted to. The end. He had hope in romantic love. Now, I realize, you realize, that's a ribald story about the responsibilities of marriage, and we read it and we laugh about it. And we say, you know, we know that's not exactly true, but there isn't one of us, man or woman, in this room. You say, you say, well, preacher, you ought to read one uh, about uh, what women do who just who would say no to that man and what they would have and what their life would be like. Oh, you write it all you want to. I, I understand how it would be. I tell Cindy often, I, I don't know how you put up with me. I really don't, honey. Wonderful wife. She said to me this week, we're trying to redo the bedroom, work on it, you know, and so forth and so on. We're painting, and she lets me paint, and, you know, she, all that kind of stuff. And she said to me every day this week that we were working on this thing, and some of last week, she said to me, now, do you want to go to the airport today? Do you want to go to the airport? You know, I'd rather be at the airport than almost anywhere. She said, do you want to go to the airport? And I, and I, I know she's a good wife, but I turned to her one time, and I said to her, are you trying to get rid of me? What wife keeps saying, do you want to go to the airport? I mean, are you trying to get rid of me? Am I not painting well? I mean, what's going on? I said, Cindy, do you really want me to go to the airport? I just want you to know you don't have to be here. Oh, what a wife. I'll tell you what, there are millions and millions of women in this world. But there is one woman who I am one with who has my heart and my head because I am in relationship with her. There is confidence. There is the magic of romantic love. And in nearly 15 years of marriage and death and trouble, 
There is the experience of what it is to be with someone and by someone and bear each other's burdens. I am in relationship with that one woman. Remember that word, relationship. And I'll tell you why you remember it, because it is, it is that relationship, not with the infant Jesus, but with the resurrected Lord that you and I have that changes our head, how we think, and changes our heart, how we let ourselves feel about things. Marriage changes you. Children changes parents. Doesn't have any effect at all on grandparents. They just go completely crazy. But a young couple who has their first child and then their second and maybe a third, their lives are changed because they have relationship. I tell you in the same way, in the biblical way that God describes marriage and family, our relationship changes what we do and how we do it. Hang on that word relationship. There's a couple elements of hope. There are many, many elements of hope when you talk about the virtues of hope, how things are done, but there are two that I want to talk to you about this morning. Because our relationship with Christ gives us hope. The first one. We have hope. Confidence. That he, God, will never forsake us. He'll never leave us. Amen. Amen. If you know him. And you've had 15 years of experience with him in marital bliss, much less 63, or 4, or 5, or 50, or 25. You know in that relationship that it's been tested, and you come back to the place to say, I love you, I am in relationship with you no matter what we've been through. I'm telling you, our relationship with Jesus Christ gives us that sense that I will, he will never leave us to go to a marriage in sickness or in health, no matter what may come. I will be here. I will not forsake you. Start looking that up in your Bible concordance. Start looking that up and you'll find scripture after scripture after scripture like this one. You'll find it in the New Testament. Even in the Great Commission, the last thing Jesus said was, I'll be with you until the end of the world. I will not forsake you. In Isaiah 41, 10 through 13, he says, and what, what words for our day today as God speaks to us about hope. So do not fear, Isaiah says, for I am with you. Carrying the message from God. It is God who's doing the speaking here. For I, God, am with you. Don't be dismayed. For I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. All who rage against you will surely be ashamed and disgraced. Those who oppose you will be as nothing and perish. 
God's people, the time that Isaiah was speaking to this to them, surrounded by their enemies on every side, and the prophet was calling them to have trust and to believe in God, for he would not forsake them, though they were far outnumbered, and though the powers that be and political powers and the powers of wealth on each side of Israel, upper and lower part of Egypt and Babylonia up in the upper northern part, they, God was saying to them that I will be with you. Stay right by me. I'm going to give you hope. I'll tell you one thing, and I've got some more doors to knock on. Some of you do too. I'm not for sure how many doors we have left of our part. How many? 148 that we need to get done sometime. Quit setting a goal. Just do it. That's what I've got to do. Just do it. I'll tell you what, from knocking on doors, and you know me, I try to stay there till they answer, peep in the windows. I mean, I, I don't. But I mean, you know, if they're there, I want to talk to them. I'd like to say hello to them. I'd like to invite them to our church. I'd like to present the gospel to them. But I'm going to tell you what I find out more than anything in the world of the doors that I've went to. People are hurting. Most of them don't know me from Adam or Eve. And you step to their door and knock on it. Hello, I'm from Glasgow Baptist Church. We're trying to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to every home. Got a little packet for you here. Just wanted to invite you to our church. We'll tell you about Jesus. If you don't know about him, if you don't want to hear about that today, listen to the video, listen to some of the literature. We hope it blesses your home. And they start telling you what is going on in their life. Many of them are Christians. And they know that you're a Christian, and so they start sharing with you the burden of their heart. And what you find out now through COVID is that they haven't had the people to share with personally and to sit down and take somebody's hand and pray with them. And they are hurting where they're at. My sister has died. My uncle has died. My child has died. My father has died. I'm going through sickness in my life. I've had a terrible problem. I'll tell you, some of our children are on drugs. I don't know what to do. I, I'm, I'm looking, I'll tell you, I, I, I'm without hope. You can see it in their eyes. You can see the pain that is there. Let me tell you, folks, there is evidence that God will do what he says, he do, he says he'll do. And there is ample evidence by the people who saw Jesus after his resurrection that it really was true. That Jesus the infant lived his life and suffered and died on Calvary for your sins and mine. And he rose again victorious. People saw it happen. You know it's happened. And I'll tell you what, when we come to those stations in our life where we suffer, we as Christians... As Paul says, we don't grieve like others do. I've said to you before from this pulpit, don't worry, pagans get along just fine. They heal, they do. But I'm telling you what, when you have Christ in your heart, you do not grieve as others who have no hope, the Bible says. We have hope. When, when my son died, I stood in this pulpit and I preached his message, the funeral message. It was, by and large, an evangelistic sermon. I said to God, even when I was preparing that, I'm the guy hurting here and I'm trying to preach a message to Craig's friends. 
Most of them could stand on a mountain in Colorado and worship God and feel that they had been close to Him. They were raised in many of them traditional Christian uh, uh, background but had forsaken that a long time ago and were into all kinds of things and the New Age stuff. They were profoundly affected by Craig's death and that was the time to tell them about Jesus. But I said in my own heart, in my own soul, I'm hurting, but that's not the task before me. Now let me tell you something, I'm a pretty hopeful guy. I'm a guy that really, I would think I have unshakable faith. I would think that my faith is pretty sound and secure, but you know what? After Craig died and the funeral was over with and not so many people were comforting you and not so many people after that, I began to say to myself, I've preached scores of funerals and told people about heaven. But I began to say to myself, I wonder if heaven is really real. I didn't think Christianity wasn't real, brother. I wondered if heaven was really real. Do I really have that promise that I'll be with him again? Do I really have that promise that there'll be a welcoming of he and I like I had in the Denver airport when I hadn't seen him for about two years and I saw my son standing there bodily in the flesh and I grabbed hold of him and I wept and he said, Dad, it's okay. It's all right. I began to question, am I ever really going to have that time? Why, it's ridiculous to think that you go to heaven. I did not believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. It's not that I didn't believe anything that was right here right then, but the ache of my heart and the challenge to my faith was at that moment. You don't ever know where hope's going to come from. Old Joel Olstein. My wife listened to him after Dale died. He did more for her than anybody in the world. And you know why? Because Joel will testify. Now, you, you may not think he preaches the gospel and all that kind of stuff. I got problems with that. But I'm going to tell you, out of Joel's tender heart, he wants to pronounce blessings upon people and encourage people to believe in God. Cindy and I went to a meeting that he had down in Nashville. We went to one in Louisville. And in Nashville, we stood up there, and I frankly loved the music. I saw there that they emphasize the scripture more than they do in that 30-minute message on TV. But I'll tell you what happened. Joel stood up and talked about the heart of people who were suffering and what he wanted to do, which he says is his main call, by the way. He wanted to pronounce a blessing and to pray for people. I tell you what, hope began to stir in me. God spoke to me in the blessings of that guy who you may think is a false prophet, but God spoke to me in that from his heart, from heaven's heart, spoke to me and hope began to rise up in me. Doubt began to go away, not doubt about my salvation, not about doubt about who Jesus was or is Christianity relevant, but the doubt that God's promise who gives me hope that there'll be a time when we will see people again. That, and the most important thing is that we will be with Him. 
God began to bore up hope in me. Told a lady at work who is one of the finest Christians I know. I said, I went to uh, this Joel Osteen uh, meeting. And I said, I tell you what, it was a real blessing. And she says, what was there there to bless you with? And I said, hope. He spoke hope into my life. I tell you what, folks. We Christians have a God who will never forsake us. He will never forsake us. We have a God who guarantees us in Romans 8, 28, that we know that all things work for good, work together for good, to those who love him, to those who've been called according to his purpose. We know that all things work together for good. Doesn't say all things are good. It says that whatever may happen and whatever combination of tragedies there may be in your life and whatever has happened in your life in the past, whatever has occurred, we know that God will bring that together to work it together for good and a blessing in your life and will bring blessings out of it. You can talk about God's sovereignty. You can talk about God knowing everything, but my friend, listen, the reason that works is because God loves you and he will not abandon you. Our children, our husbands, our wives might get to a place in their life, actions that they take, we may abandon them, but I tell you, God will never abandon us. Hope is a choice and a virtue that we live out based on who we know God is. And second, and briefly, but the most important thing, a believer can have hope. A believer in Christ can have hope that our sin is forgiven and Christ has power to deliver us because of that from death itself. A Christian faces death of loved ones and their own in a different way because of the virtue of hope that is there. Sometimes you don't know that till death knocks on your door. I've seen the saints struggle with their own death over the years. I've watched people who enter into it fighting and angry with God and so forth and so on, but I've seen them come to a place of great peace in their life. Great peace. Almost a sense of worship and praising God and thankful for the life that he gave them, the blessings that he put in their life and the hope that he instilled and they go back to those times when God saw them through and they say with confidence, I know that God will see me through in my homecoming. He will not abandon me and I don't face it with fear or trepidation, trepidation or dread. We have hope. First Corinthians, the 15th chapter says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we've hoped in Christ, and all of that was true, Paul says, if we've hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. In other words, our situation is hopeless as Christians. 
If we come to the place in our life when we would say, or the place that most of the world lives, that all this resurrection stuff is just myths that have been put over and over, all of this stuff is not true, it's just the Christian's wishful thinking, it's just some higher power trying to control people and have control over them so that they don't uh, slide back into their basic interest and uh, uh, their selfish interest in murder and war and so forth. It's simply a myth that society says and they've all said it and all civilizations have said it but my friend, listen, they didn't crucified Jesus because he was a myth. They crucified him because he said, I am God and he said, you destroy this temple on Friday and I will, it will be raised up on Sunday. There's one famous message of our time, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. We have hope that when Sunday comes, we're going to have victory. We have hope because we know that our sins have been forgiven. If you've trusted the Lord Jesus as your Savior, you know that your sins, whatever they've been in the past, are forgiven. God gives you that assurance in your heart. If you've lived a Christian life any time at all, you've probably sinned. If you're like me and saved at eight years old, the worst things you ever did was not before you were saved. The worst things you ever did was after you were saved. And you know that you have struggled with God and had to come to him and say, Lord, I've failed. I've messed up. And you know that God has forgiven you. Praise God. Yeah. You remember that word relationship I said I want you to remember? I've really already preached it. I'll not take long here. But there is a relationship with the resurrected Jesus Christ and it is through the baptism of his Holy Spirit. Danger, Will Robinson, danger, Will Robinson. We've talked about the Holy Spirit in the Baptist church. But my friends, listen, the Pentecostals, my brothers and sisters in Christ and yours don't have a corner on what it is to have the Holy Spirit. I tell you what, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit has come to live in you. That's what the Old Testament prophets said. That's what Jesus taught. That's what John the Baptist taught, that you'd be baptized with fire, that the Holy Spirit would come and make a difference in you. I tell you again, it is a relationship. It is not a code of principles, Christianity, that you sign up for and put your name on the dotted line. It is being born again. It's being changed. It's that God has done something for you that you can't do for yourself. And once you've received it, You say what Brother Lloyd said out at Temple Hill who received Christ up in his 60s. I don't know what happened to me. And I'll quote him. But I'll tell you, it was the best damn feeling I ever had. He knew something had happened to him. That his sins had been forgiven. I want to tell you something, folks. If you want the hope of Christmas, I love our decorations here. It's wonderful. They all have a symbol in terms of a spiritual symbol. We don't overdo it. We just do it to say, hey, Jesus has come and there's eternal life. It's a wonderful gift. All of that says that. It's beautiful. But I'll tell you what, there is a relationship you can have with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. If you come to Him and say, Lord Jesus, I agree with you that your death on the cross was for me. And I admit I'm wrong and that I sinned. And I come to you and want to trust you as my Lord and Savior. I want to give you my life. I don't want to hold anything back. I don't even know what that might be. But I don't want to hold anything back.
That happens because, guess what? The Holy Spirit convicts you of sin. In my words this morning, the Holy Spirit convicts you of your lostness without God. And the Holy Spirit convicts you despite the fact that in your mind you say this sounds like a fairy tale, but yet you are convicted and convinced in your life that it is right. And you know right now you need to give your heart to the Lord. Right now, you need to do that. As we stand and sing,